Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Good afternoon, HMOers. Fantastic to have you live on this channel today, the Ultimate HMO Success System. And I'm delighted because today we have some very special guests from Churchill Tax Advisors. So if ever you had any questions about tax, saving tax, making more money from property and particularly from HMOs, then today is your opportunity to ask the expert about how you can save tax, how you can make more money, how you can structure your business more efficiently, and how you can utilize the services of a specialist tax advisor to do this. So this you can see we've split into thirds today. So very pleased to welcome to the call Hazel Johnson, who is specialist tax advisor from Churchill Tax Advisors, and also Anna Ali, who is with us today, who is the business development manager. So you may liaise with Ali if you are looking to uh, engage the services of Churchill. But I'm really delighted to welcome both of them onto the call today because I know that they can add a lot of extra value to your business. And if you haven't already got somebody who acts in that capacity, then listen up because I think we're going to make some uh, fantastic recommendations for you today in your business. So, um, Ali, can we just start with you a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the business. Thank you. Um, my background is I studied a little bit of law and then 20 years in the property industry finance. So I'm a small landlord, you can call it. My family are heavily into properties and uh, been in finance. Um, tax advising, um, business development role I've taken uh, for the last two years for Churchill. Uh, I'm the senior business development manager there. So my job is to keep everybody happy, link up, and make sure everything runs smoothly. <laughs> we have, in, in Churchill, uh, we, we have four departments. Um, Hazel Johnson, here, she is the tax director uh, for the tax planning. She leads the team, how to save money, that is the subject. We have another section, um, tax investigations and tax disclosures for those landlords who have not disclosed their taxes. Oh, well, we don't want to get into that department, do we? <laughs> people do not need to worry about that. There is, there is a solution that forensic accounting can be can apply in, in properties. Say, for example, if somebody wishes to purchase property portfolio all over the country or national, international clients involved, but they'd like to know what they're getting into. So yes. we will do expert witness report and we, we will provide that as well as that. We have uh, exclusive section for private clients. Um, high net worth uh, clients uh, where we look after their uh, interest and we have um, separate accountancy firm to deal with all the accountancy work. I would Excellent. Uh, let uh, Hazel to introduce herself uh, briefly. She is a tax barrister by profession. She has a wealth of experience, spans over 30 years and she has worked for top four um, account um, accountancy or tax advisory firms uh, in the UK. Very good. Wow, that's very comprehensive. Well, let, let's move over to Hazel. Uh, so Hazel, tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your role in the business. Um, as, as Ali says, so I've worked for sort of 30 years in the tax advisory world. Um, 
I've done a, a, a broad range of work, but currently with Churchill Tax Advisors, I'm concentrating on property um, advice. Um, and uh, as I say, I trained as a lawyer. Um, originally, I was a, a criminal barrister, but uh, decided that I, I would prefer a nicer quality of client um, rather than meeting sort of muggers and, and started doing tax advice. Um, so tax, wills, trusts, um, in a lot of inheritance tax advice, uh, and certainly that's still the case with people with property portfolios, and just, you know, helping people to um, run their property portfolios in the most tax-efficient way possible, depending right. on their own personal circumstances. Yes, of course, because ultimately anything to do with tax, you know, it, it's very easy to imagine that you can give this kind of broad blanket advice but actually everybody's situation is different isn't it and you you know the, I, I would always recommend to people that they have a personal consultation because their income their you know their, their different streams of income that they have or, or different assets that they've got will mean that you will look at their portfolio or their situation as a unique individual um, but of course there are some there are some general lessons I'm sure that you can help us with today. <laughs> so what, what, Hazel, tell me, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that property investors make when it comes to tax? I think, I mean, mistakes is, is sort of a strong word, but I think I certainly see a lot of pressure on people who are running property portfolios to incorporate. And if you are setting up in business whether or not to incorporate is a different question to whether you've got if you've got an existing portfolio whether you should be incorporating because we all know that section 24 is sort of the biggest pressure that um, property investors are facing on the income side of things and a lot of people just sell this one-size-fits-all solution that goes well, if, if Section 24 um, is a problem and you're facing restrictions on your finance cost deductions, what you should do is incorporate because companies don't face those restrictions. And, and this may be true, but the difficulty is that incorporating an existing business carries tax costs of its own because you may have uh, capital gains tax. You will certainly have stamp duty land tax um, to consider. And once you've factored in the costs of, of doing that incorporation, I mean, we've got somebody who came to us and, you know, the costs of incorporating would be £160,000 because of the latent capital gains and the stamp duty land tax charges. And he's doing that to save, you know, £5,000 worth of income on his property portfolio. And, you know, we're then talking about sort of a decade or more before he recovers his costs. And, and who's to say that if, um, you know, corporation tax rates go up, um, whether, you know, he's, he's then going to turn into sort of 30 years before he's recovered his costs. So I think that incorporation can be the right answer for a lot of people. It may be the right answer if you're starting out, you know, and if you've got an existing portfolio and you're looking to expand, maybe you go and, and expand through a company. But considering sort of the running costs, the mortgage um, deductions and the costs of running through a corporate, 
I mean, some of those decisions can be more finely balanced than 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 the impression is given. I think sometimes by sort of people giving generic advice. You know, so it's that, worth there, there is. Numbers. Can can you just remind us, Hazel? There is a way, though, isn't there, of um, avoiding some of those costs if you're going to incorporate. Let's say you've already you've got a you've got a portfolio that you manage yourself. Um, I can't remember, but wasn't there a there's a Cotswolds barrister solution, isn't there, to this? If you already manage your properties yourself and you're incorporating, um, there is, um, and you can you can get um, incorporation relief, which can reduce your capital gains tax. But that does depend on you running your portfolio as a business, and a lot of the people who come to us are people who've got existing jobs, which they're using to finance the development of their property portfolio. But then at that point, you're then having to ask the question, well, are you devoting enough time to your property business to be able to show that you are, are running it as a business? I mean, if you've got managing agents in um, who are running the business for you, then you're not running a property business or is arguable you're not running a property business. So yeah. um, at that point, then what you're facing is you're, you're not getting incorporation relief, not and, and having to pay your capital gains tax bills. Um, you can, you know, there are ways of sort of you could create a partnership, you can run that for a couple of years and then consider incorporating that as well. But some of those, um, some of those, you know, that, that kind of transaction requires a lot of thought. You've got to sort of run your partnership for a couple of years um, before you can even think about whether you want to incorporate at that point. So incorporation is is a useful thing to consider, and it and it does give you some advantages. But whether it's ex exactly the right choice for any particular client is another matter. Okay, so that's one mistake that people make, which is that they um, either incorporate too early or they don't consider their full position in terms of incorporation. And like mm -hmm. you say, it could actually cost them more money long term and not save them money. Um, what other mistakes do you see people making with regards to tax? Um, I mean, I mean, I would say that that is sort of the the chief one that I see an awful lot of. Um, you know, there are things that you can do sort of to tighten up on uh, property leakage, uh, so you make sure that you're getting all your deductions. You'll make sure that you are claiming all the right reliefs that you possibly can. Um, thinking about things like sort of inheritance tax and maybe bringing children into the business, that kind of thing is also things that people come to us with, um, uh, you know, an issue. They want to bring their children into the business. They want to start passing assets onto the family, but in a way that allows them to retain control of the assets and to, to derive income from them. And that, that can be, I mean, that's the sort of thing that the, uh, tax system is not very keen on you doing and there are ways of doing it but if you don't think about it and take advice about it sort of early enough early enough then you can find yourself in in some difficulties i mean to go back to the incorporation thing i mean a lot of people think that incorporating deals with their inheritance tax issues and and it doesn't because if you have a, a two million pound property portfolio and you incorporate it you have a two million pound company and you've done nothing about your inheritance tax position so at that point you have to do additional um tax planning 
Um, so you need to sort of think, you, you just need to take this sort of holistic approach and think about all of the aspects of your business and what stage you are. Are you in a growth stage and you're just starting out? Are you sort of in a uh, mature stage where you're just sort of holding your property portfolio and you're not necessarily looking to um, expand any further? Are you coming into the retirement stage and you're looking to sort of sell down? And every, anybody who's in any of those different stages will need a different kind of planning, a different kind of advice. Now, we've got a question here from Gemma who says, where is the best go-to place to keep up to date with ever-changing tax info when you're starting out? <laughs> because I think as a new investor, it can feel a bit overwhelming that you know, you're just dealing with maybe buying your first property or your first HMO, which seems like a step up from a single buy to let or a mm -hmm. residential purchase. And not only have you now got to consider the the mortgage, the the, the the finances, the refurb, you've now also got to think about tax planning. You know, you're really focused on just getting cash flow and income at this point. But uh, it can feel as a, as a new person, whoa, this, there's a lot to consider. So what, where would you say that somebody should go to to get that advice? I mean, I think, um, I mean, I think, you know, property groups like your own are a very, very good source of information um, because you're talking to people who have the same issues and the same problems. I mean, you have to take sometimes uh, with a pinch of salt because, you know, people have are not necessarily professionals in this this area and you may be getting some bad advice but generally speaking it's a really good resource for people to to experience and explore what is happening um in the business property the property business world i think you know youtube there are videos from people who are i mean we have um a Churchill Tax Advisors do sort of videos to update people on changes in, in legislation. And, um, you know, we do uh, updates on our website. So there are a lot of sources out there that can, can give you that kind of information. I think it depends on what kind of information you're looking for. The more practical day-to-day -day stuff, Facebook groups like your own, um, if you're looking for sort of complex tax planning then obviously we would suggest coming and talking to us but there's also just an awful there's an awful lot of information that's just sort of available out there that you can come across and it's just you know read it have a look at it and then sort of don't just rely on one source i would say you know have a look at different sources because some people are just will just have one idea that they want to talk to you about and other people will have another idea and you just have to, to to work out what's best for you you know you have to look and compare different places i think so it sounds like that for for let's say for a fairly new investor maybe perhaps they've already got a couple of single buy to lets they're now starting to uh, increase their their game if you like and starting to invest in hmos that you you would say first of all let's look at the structure of the the way you're going to invest so are you going to continue to invest in your own name if they, that's how they've started yeah. do they maybe get to a certain income level and then decide that they want to invest in a limited company so you you might help them kind of talk them through that process at what point do they trigger the uh the the, the creation of a, of a limited company within which to invest 
Mm-hmm. Second point that I've taken away from, from what you said so far, Hazel, is to look at your allowances. Make make sure that you are working with either an accountant or getting some advice about ensuring that you're, you are um, claiming the correct level of allowances, uh, because that can be a source of extra payment to HMRC, which is not needed. And, you know, there's always this debate about tax avoidance and tax evasion, uh, <laughs> which I think is a really interesting one. In fact, I'm going to come to you on that one. I'm going to pass the ball right over to your court. <laughs> what would you say to somebody who says well, tax evasion is the same as tax avoidance <laughs> and vice versa? I mean, my, uh, I mean, I'm a lawyer, so uh, in, in many ways, I don't think there is such a thing as tax avoidance because there's tax planning and there's tax evasion because if if you do tax planning and it succeeds um then you know you claim reliefs you um you you succeed in reducing your tax bill and if you if you're doing sort of what they call tax avoidance what that means is you've just not managed to save the tax very frequently um and, and tax evasion, tax evasion is just lying to the revenue. We would never, ever recommend that because you know <laughs> if you get found out, it leads to all sorts of trouble. But and that's more, when another department of your business comes in. <laughs> where another department comes in. But I mean, more generally, tax avoidance is something that people talk about, and there are you know schemes that we can that that people have been sold and you see them sort of turning up maybe sometimes in the guardian sometimes on the bbc you know things like they talk about film partnership schemes where people go and invest in these things and there's no purpose for those schemes other than to save tax there's no commercial reason for those transactions and what we're talking about with the property businesses is completely different what you have is a property business and it's a real business and there are real properties and people are making real rental income and there are things you can do to reduce your tax bill and that's all perfectly fair and legitimate um and why should you not do that it's it's like would you call making a pension contribution tax evasion or tax avoidance no you wouldn't you're just taking advantage of a relief that the legislation says you're entitled to have mm. if you have very diplomatic hazel but if you if you if you fund a, an isa that's the same sort of thing so what exactly. we're saying, if, exactly. if the legislation says you're entitled to take um a deduction for the cost of you know refurbishing the property then that's not tax avoidance and if you're allowed to form a partnership to be taxed in a different way to somebody who's running a company or somebody who's owning um, the properties personally, again, that's not tax avoidance. You're making, you know, economic decisions. And certainly when we advise people, we wouldn't suggest to somebody that they should do something just to save tax. It's something that sort of fits also their commercial rationale. I mean, there are other reasons why you might want to run your property business through a company to do with, you know, separating your property interests from, say, other interests that you might have. And that's a sensible commercial thing to do anyway. Okay, so could you give some some practical tips to, uh, you know, perhaps making the most of your your taxable uh, allowances or your taxable deductions that are perfectly legal and legitimate and perhaps where you see 
people tripping up? I think certainly um, it's it's very important to keep very good records. I mean, at a very basic level, you know, you should be recording any amount of expenditure you're making in relation to your property business. Um, and the, there may be things you're not thinking about. So if you're making phone calls to deal with um, your property business, I mean, I think the days of people sending letters um, are long, long gone. But, you know, all sorts of incidental expenses. And if you don't record them, you don't have the opportunity to decide whether or not they should be deductible. Um, and certainly if you're dealing with sort of an accountant or a bookkeeper who's got the experience to decide whether something should or should not be um, deductible. Um, sometimes people come to you and say, oh, well, I spent X amount on doing doing up the bathroom of this property. And you're going, well, where are the receipts? And at that point, it becomes very difficult to make a claim for for those expenses because you can't demonstrate that what you've what you've spent your money on. So, so records is crucial, isn't it? Keeping records and and would would you recommend that people keep almost too many receipts and records, or almost you can't you can't keep enough of them, and to be really assiduous about it? I mean, I would say so. Um, and certainly, I mean, certainly when you're starting out, because I mean, after sort of two or three years of running your property business and, and dealing with either a bookkeeper or HMRC or um, working with an accountant, you will then develop a sense as to what is or is not allowable. And you might not have to be quite so um, detailed. But at least if you've kept a record of it, you've got a chance of claiming a deduction. Whereas if you've got no record of it and you've got no receipts of it, you're definitely not going to get a deduction because you haven't claimed it. Now, one question that I often get asked is about the difference between capitalization and revenue when you're doing a refurb. Are you able to give us some guidance, Hazel, on what the rules are? I mean, <laughs> sort of no. I mean, in a sense, I mean, I would say in a sense, there's an awful lot of stuff when you look at it and you go, you're making a judgment call on the basis of, you know, experience. And there's a, an awful lot of case law. I mean, you know, there's ridiculous things about our chimneys, capital or revenue expenditure. Um, and revenue um, they are they tend to be capital i mean very broadly revenue is something that's going to be recurring so if it's something you you're paying over and over again that's going to be a revenue expense if it's a capital expense you would expect it to be reflected in the value of the property um so you know big works putting a conservatory in something like that i mean not that that's necessarily going to be the experience of your clients but that kind of thing so if you build an extension on the side of the house to make um to, to increase occupancy that's likely to be a capital expense because it's a big one-off thing and then in between that there's an awful lot of well i pay for this every two or three years maybe it's may improved the um value of the building maybe it hasn't um and those are sort of the ones where it's sort of the most fertile um opportunity for accountants and bookkeepers to sort of look through those kinds of expenditures and sometimes you can apportion it um if you've got a bill for um 
doing a big piece of work on the property, it may be that some of those things are going to be revenue expenses and some of those things are going to be capital expenses. Um, yes. and it, so I think what you're saying is it's not always clear cut and that actually keeping a good record of what you have spent on your refurb and the detail of those items, uh, let's say, for example, windows, if you replace the windows in a property, it's most likely that those will be capitalized items because you're not going to be replacing the windows every few years. On the other hand, if you've spent money on, uh, oh dear, let's take an example like uh, maybe maybe furniture, uh, if you've bought furniture for the HMO, would that, would that more be under a revenue expenditure potentially? I mean, it can be, um, you know, there's, it's sort of the difference between um, repairs and capital improvements. So repairing something is some is likely to be um, revenue. So if one of your um, tenants makes a hole in the wall and you have to have that repaired, then that's going to be, that's more likely to be a revenue expense. If you then decide you're going to sort of put, I don't know, um, a very ornate bit of plaster on the wall, then that's going to be enhancement and likely to be capital. So it, it's with all of these things, the devil is in the detail. And that's why keeping your invoices and having the conversation is is important. Because, a, a, as I say, you know, a big project, there may be revenue expenses tucked away in that, that you would still be able to claim, even though it is effectively a capital project. Yes, actually, yes, my example of furniture is not really even relevant anyway, because it isn't really to do with the refurb. That's in addition, that's the extra cost that you put in sort of at the end. Uh, so that, that that's a separate item altogether. But yeah, it's I think from from what from what you've said and again listening to many other tax experts and the, the practice that we have in our business is that we would every time we finish a refurb we will sit with the accountant and work out which parts we would assign to the capital and which parts we would assign to the the, the, the profit and loss effectively the revenue side and there yeah. are sometimes those little discussions and debates where you have to say well for example carpets you know uh, do we put those against revenue do we it, it has that actually materially increase the, uh, the the value of the property therefore does it go on the balance sheet if it is something as you say which is likely to be replaced again and again and again hasn't inherently added to the value of the property then that will go against the profit and loss and be more of the revenue uh, you know the, the, the repairs and the renewals items yeah and sometimes that can depend on how nice your carpet is I mean, you know, sometimes it can be that's that effectively that silly. You know, if you're replacing like for like, it's more likely to be a revenue expense. If you're putting in a nicer carpet, then, you know, you're looking to to enhance the building, your business. And therefore, at that point, maybe it, it edges over into capital. And sometimes you can, as I say, you can apportion it and you can sort of say, well, you know, we'll treat 75% of it as revenue and 25% as capital. And sometimes the revenue can be sympathetic to that and sometimes they're not. Right, <laughs> okay. So, so getting somebody who can fight your cause uh, and, and back up your argument and notate, uh, keep good records of how you've decided yes. how to apportion those costs is critical, isn't it? It is, it really is. I mean, good record keeping um, is is, always an advantage because HMRC might come back, you know, three, four years later. And at that point, you're having to explain a decision you made four years ago. And you're thinking, well, I can't remember what I did last week, really. Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to recall a decision I made about the quality of the carpet four years ago? 
Whereas if you've got your receipts and your notes, um, at least you've got something that you can go back on. So, Hazel, can I move on to stamp duty? I'm sure mm -hmm. that you get a lot of questions and queries about stamp duty. So, well, as we know, uh, the uh, you know the, the the Chancellor has until uh, next March, 31st of March, removed the uh, standard rates of stamp stamp duty. Although, of course, as uh, investors, we still have to pay the additional three yeah. percent. Um, and this has been uh, the, 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 the having done this. This has sort of been attributed the the, the rise in housing prices uh, across the UK that we're seeing and the the volume of transactions. Um, you know, it's been attributed to this reduction. Um, mm -hmm. What what are your you, you you have probably more of an insider view on this? Do you see that as being key to to what's been happening in the UK housing market? Do you think it has that significance? I mean, I think it's I think certainly on the sort of the domestic non-investment side, it has got people out and buying. I know lots of sort of friends and family who are all looking to go and buy nice houses in the country um, so that they've got more space because they're sick of the sight of each other after six months of lockdown. <laughs> um, and and, you know, I think there's there's been a certain amount of movement on that. I, I mean, I just think it's just pent up demand from people over six months who um, haven't haven't been able to buy and haven't been able to look. I think that people who were looking to make an investment um, are now making those investments. And in many ways, it's not driven by stamp duty land tax. I think there's a tendency towards bigger transactions because people are can now go for sort of multiple dwellings relief combined with... Um, the stamp duty holiday and look to make sort of acquisitions of a of a large slightly larger portfolio um as to value by sort of tucking it into um smaller properties and reducing your overall exposure to to sdlt and i think a lot of people are using it as a reason or an opportunity to incorporate because um again with multiple dwellings relief if you incorporate um you could then um, just be paying the 3% surcharge as opposed to the higher uh, higher rates on transferring to a property. So that's sort of what we're seeing is, is more people sort of looking to incorporate large but moderate valued portfolios. That's interesting. Okay, so it, it is obviously having some impact uh, in, in the sort of residential stroke commercial stroke mixed use sector. Um, mm -hmm which itself is quite interesting because, you know, I think over the next six months, we're really going to start to see some of the impacts of the ending of furlough. We're seeing, you know, other lockdowns happening, local lockdowns happening. And of course, how the Chancellor reacts to this uh, has, has quite a big impact on the, the housing market um, and also, you know, people's sense of where things are going and, mm -hmm. and where they're putting their money. Um, so what, what, what else do you think that, uh, you know, let's say over the next sort of five to six months, property investors should be particularly mindful of? I mean, I think I'd certainly see, uh, certainly say I have seen a lot of people who have um, either been furloughed or, or made redundant or they're freelancers and have seen their um, income decrease. 
who have been looking to acquire a buy-to-let or that kind of property. So I think what I would see is an awful lot of competition um, and increased competition. I'm seeing lots and lots of people looking to move into buy-to-let on a sort of a semi-hobby basis. You know, they'll have one buy-to-let, two buy-to-lets and think that that's going to be sort of enough to see them through. Uh, so I think that what's going to give you an edge as a property investor is being very, very businesslike, very focused um, and really paying attention to the details, choosing the right locations to acquire in. Um, and, you know, student accommodation, for instance, are we going to be seeing a lot of students going to university over the next year? I'm not so sure. I've seen sort of people who've got uh, blocks of student accommodation who are just sort of sitting there, they're completely empty um, and are getting no rental income whatsoever and are in some some real difficulties. Um, so I think it's, it's a case of, yeah, there's still money to be made in the property market, but I think things are going to be more competitive and more tight for a while. And obviously, I think we're going to have, you know, increased evictions and, and longer void periods. Um, now, presumably, as well as working alongside people who are working or who have got residential portfolios and maybe HMOs or commercial properties, mm -hmm. um, do you also have clients who are working and have businesses in serviced accommodation? Um, not so much. Um, we, we have some. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not sort of, I've not seen a lot of growth in that area, I would say, over the last two or three years. But in the post-COVID world, who knows where we're going to end up? I think it's an it's a incredible time of uncertainty. So the, certainly when COVID first struck, uh, a lot of service accommodation providers and of course service accommodation uh, for many people in the HMO industry uh, or in the HMO kind of world, we, we might have service accommodation, HMOs, rent to rent, single buy to lets, commercial, you know, our, our, over a while, what I notice with investors is that we tend to uh, broaden out our portfolio and not just have one particular strategy that we stick to, although that might be the core one. Certainly in my case, my core strategy is HMOs, but I have, you know, done other strategies as well. Yeah. Now, of course, when we first had lockdown, lots of SA providers were panicking because their reliance on, for example, the, the, the holiday or the, uh, you know, weekends away kind of market was completely wiped out. Um, although, interestingly, I've also seen stories from people who are running service accommodation and have found that the contractor market has been particularly strong. And has actually strengthened when you've when, when for example, you, you there's been no hotels locally that have been open. And so to find a house that maybe houses five or six contractors who are working for the same business and who are working in a location and they know it's COVID secure and they know that there's regular cleaning and it's being serviced. Um, they felt much more secure in that kind of accommodation than being in a big corporate hotel. So I think there are some areas of growth and there are some areas where if you're creative and you develop partnerships and relationships, your business could still actually thrive. And, and I know a few individuals who have found that it's actually increased their turnover, which has been you know, brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I do think that's the key sort of going forward is flexibility and creativity. It's, it's, you know, times will be changing. There will be opportunities out there for people to take. Um, I don't think that they're necessarily going to be the same as they were pre-COVID. Um, it's just a question of spotting an opportunity and, and sort of running with it and not expecting not expecting to go back to to normal there's going to be a new normal and what that's going to look like nobody knows but if you're flexible you're adaptable and you're um you know prepared to go out there and think maybe think outside the box then that that's going to improve your chances i mean i think you know lots of people are going to be holidaying at home next year because even if we get a vaccine and we um can all are fit to travel I don't think anybody's going to want to go abroad necessarily. Some people will, some people won't. Um, it's who can say what the world holds, but I think a flexible approach is the one that's going to get you through. Now, Hazel, can I ask you about your thoughts about tax uh, increases or tax changes? I'm sure lots of people ask you to stare into your crystal ball, um, but you, I'm sure, are well connected and have, uh, you know, your ear to the ground. Uh, what do you think is likely to happen, first in terms of gen general uh, tax changes, but also to property investors moving forward? Obviously, we are running up the hugest of bills at the moment that's going to have to be paid for. I think that um, generally, conservatives have tended to take the view that increasing taxes decreases the economy. And one of the things we want to do post-COVID is to see an increased economy and, and for things to bounce back as much as possible. So on the one hand, there's the pressure to pay for all of this rather than through borrowing because traditionally Tories do not like borrowing. And, but also the sense that if you increase tax rise, increase taxes, that this is going to, to cause difficulties. And particularly if we get a poor Brexit deal, we are going to be looking to encourage um, inwards investment by having low taxes. So on a general front, I would expect some tax rises, I think maybe income tax and capital gains tax might equalise. I think that a lot of capital gains tax reliefs, so they've already had a, a sniff at entrepreneurs relief. I think some of those reliefs are going to get tightened up. Probably small incremental changes to things. So things will be, you know, reliefs will be slightly lowered. Um, I don't see, as I say, tax rates going up. But I think that they, there's going to be a lot of pressure on from the from HMRC on returns. There's going to be, you know, um, mm. almost forensic sort of analysis of people's tax returns in a way, because that's one they'll be looking to reduce what they they call sort of the tax gap, and they will be looking i think they will be looking at property businesses they will be looking at i mean they'll be looking at all sorts of businesses and particularly they're going to be looking at bounce back loans and things like that because a lot of people have been taking out bounce back loans or sort of the, the funding and using it to invest in property so i think H there may be pressure from hmrc on that on the other hand this is not the most tory of tory governments i've ever seen 
and um, they may decide that they're just going to have to put taxes up because the finances are in such a dire state. I don't think they will, but I could be very, very wrong. Yes, I think it's a very interesting one. When you, when you actually look at the figures and, as you say, the amount of debt that we're in as a country now, and the uh, figures were released yesterday to show just how much borrowing we've now entered into. And, of course, at the moment, Rishi's checkbook is hot. He's writing more checks every week as every area seems to go into two or three lockdown. It's an open checkbook, absolutely. And if you do the maths on the tax and recognise that we also are having a you know larger proportion of people becoming unemployed... Um, to raise those taxes from simple income tax uh, increases, I think is extremely unlikely to go anywhere near meeting the, the, the debt, paying off the debt or paying off the deficit, paying down the deficit, Absolutely. which is one of his key aims. I mean, what was interesting to me was that in the Conservative uh, virtual conference, Rishi Sunak declared that, that he was going to balance the books well, I thought that is an incredible claim. How on earth are you going to balance the books, Mr. Sunak, because of the debt that we have? I mean, we've got, I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, looking at sort of the macro level, because um, I have a lot of friends of sort of private investors who are sort of looking at share stocks and shares rather than, say, property, you know, and they're looking at it and they're going, oh, you know, we may get inflation, we're going to have lots of people unemployed, we have got to get those people back into business and back in into work as quickly as possible. I think increasing taxes is not the best way of going about that. I think we're going to see borrowing. We are still seeing quantitative easing. Um, I mean, you know, the reason the stock market is not through the floor is because the government is pumping so much money into the system. I can't see they can turn the tap off. <laughs> Hazel, you're on the same page as me. I completely agree. I, I actually, my prediction is we're going to see some deflation coming through because I don't think we're seeing velocity in the money markets. So mm. while you're absolutely right, there's been a lot of money printing. We haven't actually yet see that hit the the pocket of the, the everyday man and woman in the street. And so therefore, we're not seeing velocity. I think we're seeing people saving their money. I think we're seeing people being cautious about their money. Yep. I think they're being careful about investing, but recognizing that the money in their bank account is making them absolutely no return at all. So where they are investing, they are investing in the stock market. And of course, the government is also directly investing in the stock market as well. So mm. we see the FTSE staying at a relatively safe level. It's coming down a little bit and we see some days when it goes down a little bit more and over time it will we'll, we'll see what happens there we may have a sudden uh, black hole that opens up and it, it might all suddenly collapse um, I think that would be economic suicide for the government if that did happen because at the moment that's where people's confidence is and I think there's also a certain level of confidence still actually in the property market uh, ultimately of course people always need a roof over their heads so property is always long term a safe bet you, you, you can't deny it if you look back 50 100 years property is always a safe bet because it's bricks and mortar it always holds some value even and if values go up and down quite a lot. Only a certain amount of space in the country um, in which you can build and there are always more people. So, you know, there is always going to be that that pressure on the property market. I mean, I think we are just headed for some incredibly turbulent times. I just don't see the tax rises are necessarily going to feature in that. I think there's going to be an awful lot of guilt issued, basically. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not going to be me that's paying this bill off. It's going to be other people's grandchildren um, mm. for the next century. Which is why I, I think you're, you're right about inflation. I think we will start to see some inflation, perhaps not quite yet. I think some of this has got to be washed through first, but then I think we, we may see a devaluation of the currency and some inflation. And of course, it's at those times when we're at the, the bottom of the inflationary curve and we start to creep up that people look back and wish the one thing they had done was invested in property <laughs> exactly and how many times have i heard people say oh if only i'd bought a property five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago um and this is why i i i, I think there's never a good time to invest in property but there's never a bad time to invest in property either because long term if you're in it for the long term uh, you'll always make money um, that's why I'm a property investor, always will be. <laughs> no, I mean, I agree. I think it's it's a sort of something that's tended to work out over the medium to long term just because of the, con the restrictions on supply more than anything else. You know, whatever else happens, even if um, building regulations get liberalised hugely, there's still only a finite amount of space upon which you can build something and in which people want to live. Well, Hazel, I would like to say a massive thank you to you for coming on today, sharing your knowledge and your insights and some recommendations for our community, which I know they'll find very, very valuable. So if anybody has any, um, in, any questions that you'd like to post up, we've got a, a few more minutes left. Uh, when we can we can take some questions from the audience. Um, if if there are no questions that come up, that's absolutely fine. You'll have, see the you'll see the recording, uh, which will stay on the group. And uh, Hazel, we will post your details, your contact details up. So, um, would you like to just uh, you know give some closing comments to the to the audience, people maybe who are thinking about using a tax advisor, but maybe haven't felt confident to do so, or perhaps felt that they weren't ready to do so. Uh, what, what would you say to them? I mean, I would say, you know, we, um, church or tax advisors, you know, you can come to us, you can have a, a an initial sort of chat and a discussion, and we can talk through with you where we think, um, what sort of advice you need, where we think you are in your journey, and you know, if we think that what you need is somebody who's sort of smaller and less expensive, to be blunt, um, and what you need is 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 sort of bookkeeping um, advice, then we can we can provide that. Um, and if you need sort of complex tax advice, you've got a, a large property portfolio and you're looking to restructure it for best um, tax savings, or you're looking to do inheritance tax planning, we can help with that as well. But, you know, we're friendly and approachable. And um, if you just sort of drop us an email uh, with a, a query, then we will come back to you with um, help and support. Great. So you can help investors with uh, income tax planning, property tax planning, inheritance tax planning um, and, and many other areas uh, of tax you, you, you cover, don't you? We do. Yes. Right. Um, you know, a wide range of services that we can offer. 
Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you so much, Hazel. It's really been good to have you on the, the group today. Tax is one of those areas that it doesn't always kind of seem very exciting and it doesn't seem, you know, relevant for many months of the year until suddenly January appears and you think, yikes, I've got to put in my personal tax return. And that's when you wish you'd spent a bit more time focusing on it earlier in the year. So we're doing this live now in October to give people plenty of time to, to get prepared so that when uh, their, their, their year end comes or their personal tax return deadline appears, they're ready and they can uh, maximize everything that is allowable to them and do it with the, with the knowledge that they are meeting all the regulations and uh, saving as much money as they possibly can. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed, Hazel. We'll put your details up on the group. And if anybody would like to contact you afterwards, uh, they'll be able to do so then. OK, then. Right. Thank you. Thank bye you bye. very much. Bye. Visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there. And also on our Facebook group, the Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.